You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Surprise! 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 We redid our first episode. Oh yeah! Surprise! Surprise! So, um, cats out of the bag because I just let it out. We have kind of a fun little special bonus thing for you guys. So we're just a little bit past the middle of the Rewolf. Crazy, bonkers. Um, this podcast has been through a lot, two impeachments, a pandemic. <laughs> I was listening back to an episode the other day and, uh, we were talking about Alex Trebek's death and I was like, oh, I bet Ken Jennings is going to get canceled. And then I think in the preceding week, he <laughs> totally was. So again, this podcast has been through so much, um, more than I wish it had. Honestly, I wish that it was just fun and in a vacuum, but, uh, I mean, I wish that for me personally also. Yeah. But... I also wish it existed in a vacuum. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but in sort of, you know, thinking about how far we've come and, and, and everything, we have redone our entire first episode. Which uh, has messed me up a little bit for this episode because I think I got disconnected from the thread. Yeah, I was like, what the hell is happening? And then I kind of realized at the end, though, it wasn't me. It was Teen Wolf being bad. So it's all good. It's all good. And we had a great time redoing the first episode. We did. I was just like ear to ear the whole time because it was so small and silly and like lacrosse. Lacrosse. Remember lacrosse? Yeah. That used to happen. I miss lacrosse. Same. In the show. In the show, I not like in life. I don't give a shit. Care. Um, but yeah, so if you would like to listen to the new version of our first episode, you guys can just click on the first episode in your feed on whatever your podcast app you use. And we're also going to release it on its own as like a separate sort of bonus feature. We just thought it would be fun. It was definitely a good break for us from what we've been talking about, just because season four, in the first part of season four, Chef's Kiss. The second part, so convoluted. And it kind of reset us, grounded us reminded us why we're here or whatever love teen wolf yeah so it was great worth it so that's just you know to put it out there um while we're talking about our podcast which we always are but like while we're talking specifically about the podcast we have a review to read for you guys oh yes because it finally showed up Yes, on we iTunes. have a new review on iTunes. Five stars. Reminder, if you want a shout out from us, you give us a review. Five stars on iTunes, and we will shout you out on Twitter if you want um, and read your review live on the podcast. Uh, it makes our day. Like, my heart absolutely sings. I walk around, like, happy all day when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I get notifications now. I woke up, checked my email, and there was a new review, and it just set the tone for the whole day. Yes, it was... It's the best. Um, So this is coming from Kelsey Aline, and it says, such a fun podcast. This podcast is so much fun. I looked for a Teen Wolf podcast for so long, and this one is just chef's kiss. Both hosts are so insightful and and balance each other out so well. Also, I'm excited for y'all to reach uh, one of my favorite characters in season five, although he's not the greatest character morally until 6B, and even then, he's shady as fuck. Okay. Just, like, say Theo. You can say Theo. We like him, too. Anywho, I adore this podcast, and we adore you. And Theo. I love Theo. He is great. You you need a new, like, villainous main character who starts out as a bad guy, but even when he uh, figures out that he's being a bad guy, he's still just like, why are you doing those things? Yeah. Why are you doing the things that you do? Yeah. I had a friend who just watched Teen Wolf over quarantine, 
Um, and she was in season five and she was like, I hate this guy. I hate him. I hate him. And I was like, you'll like him. And, and then she got to season six B and she was like me pitying him. doesn't make <laughs> me like him. And I was like, you're watching the show wrong. Yeah. They make you feel really bad for him in like one five minute scene. And then you're like, actually I forgive him because he's handsome. <laughs> <laughs> he's handsome. He's a baby. They're all teenagers. Yeah. 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 Forgives a lot. True. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. There's some teenagers I won't forgive for things. Namely, anybody I went to high school with. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, this is a very un-high school episode of Teen Wolf. No, it's very, very serious. We are not in the school at all. No. Uh, and there are a few people who like show up at the beginning of the episode and then are not part of it at all. Um, we barely get any time with Liam um, and any time with Melissa. And it's just a lot of angst. So much angst, as is such here on the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And we're ready to rock and roll on this here episode, season four, episode 10. It's called Monstrous. It was written by Jeff Davis and Ian Stokes, who has written for Teen Wolf before, um, and he's also worked on a couple of the uh, Marvel Netflix shows. Cool. Um, Very cool. It was directed by a man named James J.D. Taylor, whose only directing credits seem to be Teen Wolf, and then a bunch of second AD on stuff. Oh, cool. So Well, cool. Somebody gave him a shot, you know? Congrats, yeah. I didn't have any, like, notes on the directing in this episode. No, I thought the um, little canal scene with Peter and Kate looked nice. Yeah, cool. So Good mm-hmm. for him. Anyway, before we get into the meat of this episode, we do have to do a 60-second recap. And yeehaw for me, I'm not going first. Not yeehaw for me. What's the opposite of yeehaw? I guess boo-hoo. Yee-ho. Okay. (laughs) Um. Uh, Listeners, let us know what you think the opposite of yee-haw is. Um, I hope we get answers on that one. I would be... Daggummit? Daggummit. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite words. Not sure. Um, My notes got like more and more chaotic as the episode went on because I started getting really frustrated. I wrote in pink pen, so I can't even read them. (laughs) (laughs) That's why the overhead light is on. Yes. Um, Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. You have 60 seconds on the clock. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Brett and Lori are running away from Assassin's End. They get caught in the lacrosse field, but Kira shows up to help them. Scott and Liam are talking about saving people, and Scott has to say that, well, we didn't make it out alive. Allison is dead. Um, Styles is at the hospital because he got bonked at Eichenhaus. Um, Lydia and the sheriff are trying to figure out how Meredith uh, did the Deadpool. Um, Lydia, no. Kira and Scott kiss, and then they find all of Satomi's pack in hiding. Um, Daddy Argent finds the scary wolfsbane. Lydia asks to speak to Meredith. Malia actually comes to the hospital, and they talk through all of their problems. Scott ends up bringing Satomi's pack to Krista's warehouse, um, and he hides the wolfsbane there. Malia and Styles end up listening to the tape, and they figure out that there's a key at the lighthouse. There's something at the lighthouse, um, and Meredith will only talk to Peter, apparently. Um, Derek and Brayden show up to help to Tommy's pack. Peter comes to the station um, to try to talk to Meredith. The assassins come in guns blazing, trying to kill off Tommy's pack at the thing. Um, Peter starts doing his werewolf melt mind with Meredith, and we find out that she got the idea from the Deadpool Ooh, from him when he was in a coma. It. Was it subconscious that you said lighthouse instead of lake house? Twice. <laughs> I did not intend to. Um, I think I was just trying to get through it, and... Also, instead of mind meld, you said meld mind. It's been a long day. That's okay. I also think that that's just the nature of the 60 second recap. It's just like my brain turns to goo. Whatever comes out of my mouth is whatever comes out. Yeah. I'm an idiot. I wouldn't say that. No. (laughs) 
That's what it feels like, though. It does I, make you feel a little dumb. Yeah, like I had a, a first run interview yesterday, and I was like so confident, and then I started speaking, and I was like, that was gobbledygook. I'm amazed she wants to speak to me again. I will say, that's kind of what it's like when we're recording. I'm like, I'm yeah. so smart. <laughs> I'm so like insightful, whatever. And uh, then I listen back when I'm editing, and I'm like, oh, she <laughs> needs to get her degree revoked. <laughs> Someone needs to go back to college. It's like as soon as I turn the mic off, I'm like, mm. Mm. I right. regret everything I've ever thought, said, or you know, experienced. Yeah, anything that I've ever shared aloud with another human. Um, Anybody who's ever met me should probably die. <laughs> like, I just think I need to make it so nobody has ever experienced me on the whole. That's the whole not wanting to be perceived thing. That's the best part about ever. the pandemic. Nobody can perceive me. Sunglasses, mm-hmm. mask, baseball cap. I'm the invisible man. Yeah, well, you can keep wearing the mask. So, I'm, Well, I'm certainly not going to stop. Ho-ho. No matter how vaccinated I am. No, especially not on the train. No, well, I don't take the train that often. But, but I do. Yes. Okay. Are you ready? I have never once been, but sure. For your 60 second recap. Oh my God, just let and it's starting right now. Okay, so Satomi's pack is on the run, and then Kira saves them, and then Scott and Liam talk, and then he's like, come on, Liam, we got to help, and Liam's like, I'm not like you, and he's like, you know what, I'll just take you home, and then uh, the sheriff and Lydia are talking about Meredith, and like Lydia's like, come on, you got to let me talk to her, um, and then uh, Kira it brings um, Satomi's pack to the vet, and then they bring her down, bring them to the warehouse. Chris tracks down some yellow wolf fame that isn't important in this episode, but will probably be important later. Lydia uh, talks to Meredith, and uh, Malia visits Styles in the hospital, and then he's like, we need to figure out where Lorraine is talking from in this tape and they figure out it's the lake house uh Chris hides away the wolf's fan in the, in the lake house and then Scott brings to Tommy's pack and they're like all right it's going to be a fight to the death because people are going to come catch you like find us uh Styles Millie listen to the record player and then they realize that it's not actually a record player and they broke break open the wall and then they're like this is a bunch of computers that's issuing the Deadpool Scott brings in Derek for backup Peter talks to Meredith and then does the mind meld thing and then she's like um and then he realizes, like Lydia listens in, and it's like, oh my god, Peter was the like mastermind behind the benefactor, behind the behind the benefactor, because he was like giving all these psychic messages to Meredith while he was in the hospital. And that's time. Okay. Well. Okay. Um, we reached the same, same point. point. Um, and I feel like it kind of goes on at a quick clip from there. Well, I'll let you. I'll let you tell the people what we missed. Uh, yeah, they've. Um, so. Styles and Malia get to the warehouse and they find the key um, that turns off the 70s IBM computer in a bottle of wine um, and they shut it off. And so all of the uh, assassins get a notification that the Deadpool is canceled. Um, and we find out that Allison's death is the Twitter one. voice. The Deadpool is canceled. Canceled. Um, Meredith tells Lydia that Allison's death is what triggered the Deadpool, uh, which is kind of an insane thing to say. Um and they have a conversation about being monsters. And then there's a bit of a moment between Peter and Kate. And Kate's like, all of your chess pieces are moving into place. And Peter's like, yes, I will finally get to kill Scott McCall. After Meredith is like, Peter's the alpha. He's always been the alpha. Yes. I was protecting Elena. <laughs> I'm on my way to murder <laughs> Elena. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, I gotta say, I'm gonna say it now. I'm gonna say it. This episode was, like, kind of clipping along, and then by the back half, I was like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. This is so convoluted. Absolutely nothing is adding up in the way that they think it is. Uh, There's no way I could ask any one writer on this season and have them each give me the same answer if I asked a question about that, like, ridiculous 70s, like, whirly-do computer. Like, mm, (laughs) hello? Uh 
Hello. Um, We've been so complimentary <laughs> of season four. Yeah. And I was like, wait, why didn't I like season four? And it's like, oh, because it does get bad. Not horrible. Like, I'm at least having fun. Which is more than I can say for other seasons. Like, I'm not going to name any seasons, but, like, other seasons that might not be fun at all that, like, maybe last, like, 20 episodes. I don't know. Yeah, I remember uh, watching this episode because I think I just, like, closed my laptop afterwards. I just sat there and I was like, did I miss something? I immediately went to, like, Google the plot because maybe I hadn't been paying close enough attention. No, it just doesn't make any sense. No. And And at this point, they're asking us to suspend our disbelief way too far. Like I need some explanations. I generally feel like uh, Teen Wolf sits in a very comfortable place of magical realism. Oh yeah. Because we get so much high school and you know, so much like sort of legal interaction and like hospital stuff. It does sort of sit in the real world to the left, mm-hmm. um, which is good. I love magical realism. That's kind of what I want. But when you are including like the computers and like Wolfsbane and like all of this other stuff, you're all of a sudden including like full like fantasy and sci-fi. And it's like, no, 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 too much, too much on your plate. I also think that this season suffers particularly from characters telling us what is happening rather than us being able to make discoveries because the whole story of Lorraine Martin, Lydia narrates that for us. We don't get a flashback, which Teen Wolf loves to do. Oh, why? Uh, imagine if we got a Lorraine episode in the way we got like the the World War II episode in season yeah, three. That would have made so much more sense if that's the route they wanted to go. Not that um, that episode is good, but no, but like, but other Teen Wolf flashbacks are decent. No, we have hated all two flashback episodes that have happened previous. We hated the Derek one. And... I don't want. I don't need a full episode. Oh, okay, <laughs> I need just like a chunk. Okay, um, you know, and not only that, but like when Meredith and Peter are doing their little, it's so gross. Um, the memory recall, basically. Yeah, the sort of spinal tap. Um, literally we could have gotten so much information just watching that scene, um, instead of having Lydia narrate it to us. I get that she has to like tell, um, Parrish and, and, and Sheriff what happened, but that could be summed up in one sentence. It could literally be done in one line after she watches that whole thing and reveals it to the audience, you know? Yeah. And it, it was just too much, um, there's no real element of like discovery. And part of what's fun about watching shows like this is you're figuring out a mystery and you don't get to do any of that because they just lay it out for no. you. And like, that's a, a really frustrating thing because it, that is like a technical element of storytelling. Like everybody who's in that writer's room should have the skill to stay away from that. And it's like, it feels very sloppy. So sloppy. Yeah. Um, We still have to talk about the episode. (laughs) I'm sure we'll have more complaints to issue, but we're going to be talking about this episode through the theme of corruption. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of a big conversation that happens. um, Something that we see a lot of people succumb to and, and Peter, you know, makes a sort of makes a couple comments about it that makes it um, so much more um, plausible in the universe for anybody to kind of fall victim to it. I kind of want to start with Scott. Mm hmm. Scott is actually not a huge part of the, this episode. Uh, it's funny. Every time it flashed back to Scott, I was like, "Ugh, whatever's happening in this warehouse is boring. Because even as somebody who like likes action and like, you know, 
big, you know, action e movies. I think fight scenes are just like ugh, the worst. Well, and not only that, but it's all guns. It's, it's all guns. All gun it's all guns, and it's not personal fighting. You know, it's not like watching a fight between two of the characters we really like, and that's why it's dramatically interesting. It's mm-hmm. like a okay. bunch of like people in SWAT uniforms. You, yeah, you don't get to see their faces. They're moving around, and then I just had more questions about Chris's warehouse. Like there were just so Does many. Does Chris things own about this warehouse? I'm so confused. That is what the implication is, but we've only. Is it the same warehouse that Kate was hanging out in before? I guess it might be like I the guess. Argent warehouse. And then I just also have to hate the Argents for not only being arms dealers, but, but also being landlords. landlords. <laughs> God. Yeah, I thought it was really ineffectual. But we can start by talking about Scott. I do. I want sure. to. So Scott kind of kicks off um, sort of like the question of like basically morality in the very beginning of this episode, you know, he is, Scott is so driven by his moral compass, like superhero extraordinaire, we've always said. Mm-hmm. Um, and he throws the other helmet, you know, his extra helmet to Liam to get on the bike to go save the day because he knows that Kira has found Satomi's pack. And Liam has to look at him and be like, I'm not like you. I I don't operate on the same you know, sort of drive to protect people that you do. And one is kind of pitches Scott is sort of incorruptible, which mm-hmm. is really interesting considering what happens when Kate turns him into a berserker at the end of the season. Yes. Um, and it also kind of pitches the idea that like anybody cannot be Scott and only Scott can sort of be this thing. And I think when you, when Liam is comparing himself to somebody, he's like, well, if I can't be that good, I might as well just not be anything. I find that interaction so interesting because it's not Liam's statement is not framed as like shameful in any way. No, I think there's a lot of empathy and this scene is not very long at all. No, Um, but I miss Liam and I like talking about him. I miss Liam. And we also have to remember he's 15 baby. And like Scott too was 15. Um, but he made a lot of mistakes and there were times where he just like wanted to be a teen. Well, yeah, I mean, Scott, like, did some stuff that was, like, objectively selfish in the earlier couple mm-hmm. of seasons. Like, that whole episode where him and Allison, like, get lost in the woods while all hell is breaking loose. Oh, siren time. It's been quite a few episodes, actually. Since we had a good one. Yeah. That is good, because that means there's not a lot of fires happening in our neighborhood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't wish sirens upon Again, this podcast. I feel, I feel deeply protected by the fact that we are so close to the firehouse, and mm-hmm. we love... Like a cab all day, but yay, firefighters. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up for firefighters, but please yeah. be slightly quieter. I mm-hmm. actually was talking to somebody who works at our firehouse. He came into my work and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm at the firehouse, you know, um, and, you know, said by our street. And I was like, oh, I live right there. And he goes, and I was like, it's really loud when you guys turn the sirens on. And he goes, oh, you know, I hate when my fellow, you know, when my coworkers turn the sirens on in the residential streets. Like, I just think it's rude to do that your neighbors. And I was like, you should maybe just turn them on so you can blow through traffic and stop the fires. But thank you for your concern. Yeah, I mean, like, I too would prefer not to be woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning by a siren that makes me think the world is ending. But But I get it. I get it. I understand. Uh, Yeah. Uh, You don't have to apologize It's it's part of the gig. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But I guess what he's being is like, I don't need to turn, you know, the siren on for, like, a cat in a tree or whatever. Like, I think he sort of meant for, like, none- I have never in my life seen a firefighter rescue a cat from a tree, and I think it's a crucial experience I'm missing. No, I really think it's fake. I, well, how else are you supposed to get the cat down from the tree? They have the ladders. <laughs> I, cats 
cats can get down from trees. Sometimes they can't. They're small. Well, haven't you? Oh, have you ever seen Pleasantville? No. In like Pleasantville, like obviously everything is like you know hunky dory, mm-hmm. and uh, a tree catches on fire, and Tobey Maguire's character has to like get the fire brigade, and he's like, "There's a fire! There's a fire!" But there's never been a fire fire in Pleasantville, and they're like, um, "What? What?" And he goes, <laughs> "He goes, cat," and they all get up and run <laughs> to help him. That is very funny. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, back to Scott. Uh, yeah, we were talking about Scott and power and power and yeah. corruption. Um, yeah, that idea comes up at the very beginning of the episode and then we don't really see it again until the very end of this firefight, I guess. Like Scott's doing his typical noble thing of trying to save Satomi's pack because he thinks that's the right thing to do. And it is. Um, and he ends up kind of saving one of Satomi's pack members from being shot and then starts shredding this man to ribbons. Yeah. And at some point his helmet gets knocked off and he sees his face and that's what causes him to stop. Well, what's interesting is while this is happening, Scott's face is transforming into what I wrote in my notes as the demon wolf. (laughs) He is reaching a level of inhumanity that we have never seen from Scott before. Mm -hmm. And it kind of shows that like Scott, like even though Liam is like, I'm not like you, like I'm strong and I'm brave, but I can't do what you do morally. Like I don't have that strong of a compass. Um, yet like Liam is generally a good human being um but it shows you that in instances of extreme violence of extreme you know fear Scott Mm -hmm. can 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 succumb to like what it really is to be a predator as we have had this conversation for a long time you know he can be corrupted by his own power and that includes you know the sort of high of destroying someone who is trying to destroy you Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kept thinking about the the phrase power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and Scott doesn't have absolute power, although we're kind of led to believe that he has like a very pure form of power because he is a true alpha. Yeah. Um, but we definitely see that like in Peter for contrast that he believes he's kind of got the absolute power. And so he has no good left within him. Um, and we're watching Scott kind of go along this journey of trying to figure out, you know, how do I kind of stay true to myself and not let my power corrupt me? Um, and he's struggling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's true. Um, and it's always great to have sort of Scott as the, um, like primary example of like humanity in the show. Like obviously the way that Scott behaves is like inachievable to any human who's ever been stuck in traffic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but again, like having it to compare to Peter, even compared to the sheriff and, and Lydia and, um, Kate and other people in this episode who also sort of, we see, you know, corrupted by their desires or their anger or whatever. Scott pulls himself back from the edge. Mm-hmm. which very few people have the capacity to do in the same way. And I also think that given uh, conversations that have been had up until that point, like Satomi and Chris talk about the fact that werewolves are violent creatures. Like, I think that there would have been a certain level of understanding, but not forgiveness if Scott couldn't pull back. Um, but it's also just kind of expected of him that he can I thought and I kind of wanted to move into Kristen to tell me next anyway I thought that conversation was fascinating you know mm-hmm. because what that kind of confirms to Chris is that Satomi believes in what Chris had be- like believed all along when he was still a hunter 
that ultimately werewolves are violent and uncontrollable. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it seems what Satomi is actually saying is like, that's not not really a relic of werewolfdom, but also like a symptom of humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, And when she says that, Chris is kind of taken aback. Like I have gone through all of the work trying not to believe that anymore. And yet here you are presenting it as fact, like as part of your mantra of your pack, you know, mm-hmm. that though you are inherently violent, you must fight away from it. Um, and I think part of Chris's unlearning process of, you know, abandoning the corruption of his upbringing was trying to believe that werewolves weren't inherently violent. Yeah. Um, it kind of flies in the face of everything he's learned. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I, I don't know. I just He's like, what did I go through this redemption arc for then? <laughs> yeah. huh? No, I, th- I think it's just really interesting for those two in particular to have that conversation. Um, cause they clearly have history. Um, they have beef. And I, I honestly, I think it was trying to be a little more profound than it actually turns out to be. Um, that's the thesis uh, of Teen Wolf. <laughs> This is the thesis of our podcast. Teen Wolf tries to be profound, comma, doesn't do it. <laughs> doesn't do it. But, um, you know, it's also interesting in the context of them, like, running and hiding from assassins. And, like, oh, you have this incredibly violent power, but you're not going to use it. And, like, she has brought her whole pack to become Buddhist, basically, is the way that they've described it. Um, and so she's trying so, so hard to fight their true nature. Um and I don't know what it, what well, is Teen Wolf trying to say about well, I your think true what, nature? What Teen Wolf is trying to say about like, uh, like Buddhism included is sort of like operating in the way that the universe like intends you intends to? you to, um, in a way that keeps things balanced. You know, like you're not overusing your power or underutilizing. You know, it's like about balance, and I mm-hmm. can understand why that would be so um, attractive to somebody who feels like they are out of control. Yes. I get it. That actually is kind of interesting and, and smart to me that there's this whole pack of people who are like, I will work within the ways of the universe to find my own center um, as a werewolf. I get, and uh, this is one of those like really cool ideas that's never expanded upon. Yeah. Nope. Ever. Um, Tina was like, we'll give you a hint, <laughs> a touch of something interesting. But that's actually one of the things that I kind of liked about seeing Satomi's pack um, because it's like a really diverse range of ages um, yeah. How did Brett and his sister get swept up into that? I don't know, but I also think that like there were a couple of other teenagers in that mix. Um, but then like fully grown adults, people who are in middle age, um, a diverse group of people. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because I feel like all of the werewolves that we've seen so far have just been, you know, beautiful, youthful, um, out al- an alpha pack, Scott's pack. Mm-hmm. Everybody is just ripped and gorgeous and like, uh, abnormal like they stand out yeah i mean i do like i like the idea that we have like middle-aged and like older like especially if sort of like two elder like creatures of both uh nishiko and satomi Mm -hmm. you know who have history together and they have you know had these powers for all of this time and have like learned you know Mm -hmm. and whereas like i think that satomi is sort of like benevolent and like caretaking she goes a little bit like you have to learn how to do this come on like a little bit less yeah um so top two yeah yeah um moving on i think i want to talk a little about mamalia and styles 
Very sweet. Malia is somebody who I think gets a little bit corrupted by her anger. You know, it's her own resentment towards Styles that pushes her away from him so far that, you know, without her, he kind of gets into trouble and she kind of gets into a little bit of her own trouble. And their first meeting is both like after they both were almost um, murdered. Uh, and they didn't even know it. No, yeah, she has to be like, oh, yeah, I almost died. I heard you almost died. And he's like, yeah, I almost died. I guess you also almost died. Wow. <laughs> Scary. Strong relationships are all about having things in common. <laughs> Communication, <laughs> things in common. They can't, have one and not the other. I <laughs> can't believe we both almost got murdered last night. Um, well, I think one of the questions that we've been asking about Malia for like the whole season is how much of her human self was corrupted by the fact that she spent eight years as a coyote. Yeah. And this is kind of one of those, those moments that proves that like her humanity still wins out. Mm -hmm. You know, she has deep empathy for styles. Um, it is a feeling that she does not have the words to describe partially cause she's eight, but they don't go into that. No, no. Um, but those feelings are there, and, it, and this big part of her journey has been trying to parse out what they are, you know? Experiencing feeling in a human emotion on, like, an adult level is uh, a lot for an eight-year-old. It's a lot, and she really only has it uh, within her to do it for styles. Aw. <laughs> Aw, but also... That's kind of fucked up, yeah. <laughs> uh, <that's, laughs> styles is like, I can fix him. <laughs> Um, uh, not a great attitude to have ladies, um, gentlemen also. Also, yeah, you can't fix him, but you can make him worse. <laughs> There's always that There's opportunity. Always that. You can always make him so much worse. Um, yeah. So but like warn the girl after you, like the guy, I, di I did yeah, make by him the worse. Way, I made him worse. Yeah. Um, well, Malia, like Malia has all of her her corrupted human feelings and styles just like doesn't exactly operate on like a normal, uh, moral code or, uh, a normal risk analysis. No, I think styles is, styles does not weigh the risks of not telling Malia about Peter, you know, he's sort of corrupted by his selfishness and being like, things get to stay simple. If mm -hmm. we don't, you know, really set information, he like likes the really, the, how their relationship is and is so like comfortable in it that he would rather not change any of the parameters. And that's what ultimately ends up bringing them to their mini breakup. Yeah. Well, and he tries to kind of justify it when um, Melissa locks the door on them and he's like, sometimes people do stupid, like smart people do stupid things accidentally yeah and it's like come on styles. it was not an accident babe also i love you melissa i was missing melissa ponzio we haven't seen her in a really long time i was excited to see her yes. um and it was she's so funny she's delightful. i will lock you in the hospital room just get it together we do not have time for this yes also like as far as incorruptible people go like apple not far from the tree all she wants is to take care of people mm -hmm. you know yeah um uh, after Estelle's Amelia, I think we finally kind of have to talk about like the Lydia Meredith Peter Sheriff of it all. So they are actually what I think is by far the most interesting part of this episode. The episode, the entire episode could have been about them and it would have been fine. Yes. Yeah. Um, with a little like Styles Malia because that's plot related. Um, but what is happening between that quartet of folks? I a little bit wish... And this is nothing on, you know, Tyler Posey. This is nothing about how I, much I love Scott. How I would think it would be really interesting to do an episode without him. 
And this would have been a really good exercise for that. I think so too, particularly because he's barely in it at all. And the moments that he provides to us are, could be, could be good. Could be really interesting. Could have lived without him also. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but back to our police station discussion, Peter, um, sort of brings up the concept a little bit like less in a more less interesting way in his rantings, like his nightmare rantings towards Meredith is like, anybody can be bought. Anybody Mm -hmm. can be turned into a killer for right amount of money. And I a little bit wish that the statement had been like, anybody can be a killer for the right reason. Money's a little bit boring as we have discussed. discussed. Um, but you know, Chris, for years, was a killer because he thought it was the right reason. Mm-hmm. We see Scott almost kill somebody for the first time, like turning into the demon wolf face because he thinks it's for the right reason. The sheriff almost shoots Peter, Peter. in that interrogation room. And I, you know, I understand that that wasn't quite the thesis of the Deadpool, but that is kind of what this this episode is hinged on, is that like if you are pushed in the right direction hard enough, bad things can happen. Yeah, and well, and we've been able to see that through like the evolution of the assassins because the first three uh, are the mute, the chemist, the little baby twins, um, the orphans. Yeah. The orphans. They, uh, they're not twins. They're dating. Um, they are professional. They also assassins. are not the same gender, nor do they look alike. How would they be twins? <laughs> Not really. You can have a twin of a different gender. I don't know if you can have a twin of a different race. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, that'd be great. Actually, no. I did see one time. There, there's like this set of British twins, and they're like on all on all these uh, shows all the time because one of them is black and one of them has red hair, and is also white, but like flamingly red hair. So it's possible. You can also be a black gender, but, but that is impressive. I'm, uh, genetics yeah. are wild. Genetics are absolutely. Also, crazy. have you ever seen that tweet that's like when twins aren't identical? What's the point? because me and my identical twin are like if you're not identical what's the point what's the point you just have to fight over things Mm -hmm. which you can do with any sibling um anyway the those assassins they're all professional killers Mm -hmm. and when i don't remember what the other deputy's name is um hey hey when hey tries to kill parish uh that's like a normal well he's a cop he's a cop so he's a cop but he we're not delving into a cab on Teen Wolf, so he's a quote unquote normal person. Yeah. Um, who kind of gets corrupted by the idea of making five million dollars from killing his fellow deputy. Um, and like five million dollars is a lot of money. There's all these jokes, it's like, would you punch a baby for like a hundred million dollars? You know? Yeah. That's ever, terrible. Have you ever seen that the TikTok of the guy and his pregnant wife? And he's like, somebody asked me if I'd punch my pregnant wife for a million dollars. And she's like, a million dollars? You better. <laughs> yeah, literally. Or What's even- the Pete Davidson thing? <laughs> if you don't suck a dick for a million dollars, you don't care about your family. <laughs> yes. Or even like going beyond that. Someone's like, uh, you know, would you shoot someone for $200 million? It's like, yeah, I'd shoot him in the leg. Yeah. For $200 million. Is there a horror movie about like a button that kills people and like. Yes. And it's uh, based on a short story and you want to know how it ends. How? Aliens. Boo. Boo. I hate that you just told me that. That's so annoying. I can't remember how. I think I had to read that short story in like freshman year English. The premise is great. Actually, I may be conflating it with another horror movie that ends with aliens, but either way, any horror movie that ends with aliens and did not begin with aliens. aliens, Boo. Bad. Yeah. 
Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about how power corrupts you and like and money can corrupt you. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the thesis of this season is that anybody can be a killer for the right reason. And that includes Meredith, who is not, you know, would not have ever approached the Deadpool on her own. But when she is subject to the rantings of a self-proclaimed lunatic, mm-hmm. and that is the only information she is gathering, she is all of a sudden acquiring all the hate that Peter has harbored in his heart in immense amounts of grief and loss for what he feels for his family. And he is like the only way to start over to make sure that no one is going to be killed by these people anymore is to basically kill them myself. And it's like sort of a weird, like angel of death type of thing. But he's like, I will clean this slate to make sure nobody feels how I feel, even though that would make everyone feel how you feel. Yeah. Which is incredibly crazy, but Peter is nuts. It's also a very weird, if I can't have peace, no one can have peace. Which is a way, <laughs> way more Peter-like idea. Yeah. Well, it, it's so funny because this flashback verges so close on making you feel sorry for Peter. Oh, I actually think it does. I think yeah. you are a little sympathetic. And it is in those first moments when he's like, uh, how how did this happen? The Argents did this to me. I've lost everything. And then he, when he starts formulating the plan, you're like, oh, Peter's crazy. But again, like when Meredith is the only thing that she's tuning into for months is Is Peter, of course she would acquire some of that corruption. The corruption, and I I think the worst part about that is the discussion that she has with Lydia at the end where she says that we are all monsters, even and perhaps especially her and Lydia. Yeah. Um. You know, and, and the idea that, like, you have to start all over again because the, these kinds of people are irredeemable. What a horrible thing to, like, carry around with you all the time. Yeah, I mean, especially if that's something that you've so, like, assuredly internalized. Mm-hmm. Like, that is enough to turn, like, that inward hate is enough to turn anybody on and, like, put it out there, um, turn it outward. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It's tragic, and you don't want anybody, because so far we have, like, three, uh, like, truly evil people who are monsters, and a lot of the evil people <laughs> who we've met are just humans. hmm Like, Matt was just an evil person. Gerard. Gerard is an evil person. Kate is an evil person. Um, now we're Jaguar. Yes. But previously to that. But previous to that, like, our other villains were, like, the only person who I would even really say was evil in, like, 3A was, like, not Kate, um, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. I don't even think Deucalion's that evil. I think that he's power-hungry and crazy, but... Yeah, well, he's, and he's not doing it, like, maliciously. Yeah, he is. He's a collector. I guess so. That's still malicious, but yeah. Um, no, but he's not, but he's not doing it like just for the thrill, of the for kill. the fun. Yeah. Like he has a strategy. Yeah. Um, and again, Peter is just absolutely insane. Of course, it's all working out the way he wants it to. Um, and I can't remember if we get like more of an explanation as to how all of this happened, like how Meredith masterminded this, if she just did it all based on what she remembered or if he was there manipulating her. I literally can't remember. I guess we'll find out because I do not either. Uh, yeah. Because if that's true, then his whole little, you know. <laughs> crazy if true. <laughs> crazy if true. His whole little memory um, claw thing. Why would you do that? Except to manipulate Lydia, I guess. Yeah. Um. And in that sheriff's station, we also see 
the sheriff uh, pull his gun on Peter. Him and Parrish, but the sheriff does not lower his. No. And the crazy thing to me is that, like, Peter is basically, like, I don't know, I guess he's, like, an accomplice more so than the instigator. Because Meredith is the one who's actually gone through all the processes of setting this up. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting the idea from Peter is... Like, just part of that. <laughs> and immediately the sheriff... I mean, the sheriff has, like, a couple reasons just to want to kill Peter anyway, because, oh my god, what a nightmare. But he is, like, immediate... Like, the immediate blame fall, falls on him. And you have to just think that, like, the idea that the people he loved were on that list is enough to make him go crazy enough to kill Peter. And Peter is like, what are you going to do, sheriff? What are you going to do when your department looks like this? How are you going to explain this to a judge? Because what the what the sheriff is threatening is basically capital punishment. Yeah. Uh, it is absolutely bananas. Um, and, and it's, like, driven from a point of real desperation and an understanding that, like, he has all of the physical power in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, because... He even says, like, I bet you couldn't heal from a bullet mm-hmm. between the eyes. And, and I really think that, like, the whole reason that he just finds it so hard to let Peter walk away is the knowledge that he can't punish Peter for any of that. Yeah. Nor can he punish Peter for everything that he did pre-dying and being resurrected, because I'm sure he knows about that by now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it must upset him greatly. Like, he is so angry, and there's no way for him to punish him. I was also thinking about this, like, the way that we start this episode, the the series, is Mm -hmm. by the sheriff investigating the death of Laura Hale. Yeah. And he has never been able to bring Peter to justice. And that frustration and that fury about Peter's, like, just ridiculous, abhorrent behavior would lead him to shoot him dead in the investigation room. Mm -hmm. If it weren't basically for Peter being like, people are watching. One of the things I think is so interesting about this, and of course, again, we're not delving into a cab on Teen Wolf, but Teen Wolf isn't. We are. We are. Um, like the show isn't commenting on that necessarily, but like there, I think is something um, really ingrained in the American psyche, and particularly within the justice system, that like the only way to get justice is through punishment. Mm-hmm. And because you can't punish Peter by sending him to jail, you have to up the ante and to the sheriff that feels justified. Yeah. Which again, Peter is a psycho. Yeah. There's really no concept of like restorative justice on this show. Uh, not at all. Um, which is actually, I think if Scott were calling the shots, there would be, I think Scott believes in it, but rarely gets a chance to. Well, I think, you know who I think is a good example of that is actually Theo. Yeah. And we'll get to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, soon. But for now we just have to deal with the fact that like Peter is nuts. There's another siren telling us that it is time to move into Q's and O's. Oh. Do you have any questions? I actually, well, I mean, I have questions in the sense that this episode doesn't make any fucking sense. I think we have the same question. How does does the internet Deadpool exist coming from a, like, intranet 70s computer? Um, Unless this is, like, a long con advertisement for IBM, there was no reason to include that I also, here's my my follow-up. Did Lorraine set up the computer? Am I misremembering that? She would have had to. This would have had to happen in a lifetime that didn't, that predates Meredith and Lydia, and also probably Peter. Yes, because um, 
that is how, like, that's how the Deadpool is created. She's the one who wrote the code. She's the one who figured it out. And on the tape, she's like, I have to go. I know how to stop this. I know something that will stop this, which implies that someone else set it up. But that is impossible because we have no other scapegoat. I mean, I guess they'll they'll tell us what's possible in the next episode. And we're just going to have to be like, I'm not dumb, you're dumb. No, but I legitimately, I don't think this is ever explained. Because when I got to the end of season four, I was like, what is happening? Yeah. What's happening? I think about, um, you know how uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, is like, this is a spy drama. This is a spy drama. This is a spy drama. And then they introduce like 80 feet of like 1970s <laughs> computers. And you're like, this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and then it goes back to being a spy drama. But the second they introduce the 70s computers, you're like, I'm out. I'm yeah. out. This is dumb. It is really nuts what thing in a movie will just mean you're like, oh, I'm checked out <laughs> immediately. I'm, I'm, ta- I'm watching a, a dead man talk from a screen. And I was like, this is not that type of movie. <laughs> Yeah. Um I none of this makes any sense. The the part at the beginning of the episode where the sheriff is like maybe the Deadpool runs automatically and like I I guess the implication is that it does, but we've also learned that to get paid you need proof of death. Yeah. And and Meredith is clearly the one who was like facilitating that, and she's behind bars. So why you don't have to do anything? Well, I will say that nobody would know that they weren't going to not be, they were going to not be paid. That's true. So that makes sense to me. But I just don't understand how um, you ha- is there just like a website? Is it on the deep web? How the hell did they get there? Um, I perhaps this actually does make sense from like a programming. I bet it does. I'm gonna ask. I have a couple of friends who did like eeks in school. I'm gonna ask my some computer science friends. Okay. Well, then report back to us because it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. No, because I imagine if I explain to them what's happening, they're like, they'll just be like, no, that doesn't make sense. You know, like, I really don't (laughs) think that, yeah. Girl, what? Um, So that was my only question slash your only question. And the question is, why is this season (laughs) like this? Why? Yeah. What was the point? Um, Do you have any observations? My observations, I actually really, I think the idea of, um, banshees like being somehow connected to like computers and coding i think that's really interesting particularly because beyond advertising teen wolf really doesn't utilize technology in the way that you would expect a show that is set during that particular time in contemporarily Mm -hmm. to use it like no one hacks anything you know it's not i'm okay with that no i'm okay with that too but i think i think that was an interesting idea i'm i mean i'm it's fine that we didn't delve into it but again, it's like the Teen Wolf writers drop these sparkling bits of brilliant ideas and then abandon them. They're basically like, well, we'll leave you to figure that out. And it's like, mm, I don't have the time, mm-hmm. I, but I do have the podcast, so I guess I got to try. Thank you. Um, any observation? Any other observations? Um, well, when we were watching, you asked me, um, like, if you turned in a bunch of bearer bonds, like, wouldn't someone notice? Like, couldn't you trace it? You just call the banks in your area being like, did anybody cash in $117 million? But it's actually, like, way worse than that because I looked it up. And to cash in bearer bonds that have matured, um, which clearly these have, you have to mail them in. Like, you have to go to the post office, buy insurance for them, mail them in, and you have to send it along with a tax form with your name and your social security number on it. So, first of all, Meredith couldn't do that. Does Meredith know her social security number? I feel like no. All of this would have been saved by the safe just being full of cash. Literally. And you couldn't fit a million dollars in that, a hundred million dollars in that safe, but like. Or like codes to a Swiss bank account. 
Yeah. Diamonds. Diamonds. Yes, that would be great. And much less traceable. Yeah. Um, I have an observation. Yeah. Kira's back. Kira's back. We Kira's love back. her. And I was just wanted her to be in so much more of this episode. And I just like love Skira. And I thought their kiss at the vet was really cute. Cause I was like, these bitches love each other. Especially because we're about to lose her. I know. Oh, I mean, not God. like to death. Underutilized but. teen wolf. Okay. I actually was thinking about this. It's been a really long time since we like really hated an episode. So I feel like we're resetting. <laughs> we're, yeah. Nature is restoring itself. <laughs> We're back to our roots yeah. uh, of being just so beyond frustrated. What do you have uh, some other observations to share with us? Um, I love anytime they utilize the la- lacro- the lights on the lacrosse field. Mm, it's mm-hmm. just, it just looks good. Um, I thought I was, I was really appreciative of how much Allison reference we got in this episode. It's been a while since we've talked about her. And I thought that part when Scott and Liam are talking, he's like, you know, how do you guys do this? How are you all still alive? And Scott has to be like, we're not was really effective. Well, and I also thought that that little bit between Lydia and Meredith, where Meredith says that, you know, you screaming when Allison died, that was what set it off. Like That's how I knew it was time. Allison's death, like the fact that people keep dying and the fact that like we lost this core member of the pack, um, the fact that that was the the ball, like the thing that got the ball rolling, mm-hmm. one is just like, horrific yeah how awful um i did i do kind of like the idea though that like that was a death so impactful impactful yeah that it would be then like that is a time where it's time to reset like it was so like a life so wrongfully taken that that was the time that the deadpool needed to start yeah it's like a very bizarre sense of justice mm-hmm. yeah I had one more observation if you don't have any more. Oh, I just had, was just going to say that I think that uh, Ian Bowen did some of his, uh, did some good acting in his like ranting scenes. Mm-hmm. I don't always love everything Ian Bowen does. I think he seriously gilds the lily with a lot of the like talking into the distance, looking like Peter yes. Hale. I just thought that that was, was interesting. He was making interesting choices. I would agree. Um, this, I just think is funny. Uh, Scott, no, no, Chris. Chris takes the fancy uh, wolfsbane plant mm-hmm. from where it's being held in its place of honor for some reason and like puts it away in a vault. In what appears to, <laughs> he finds it in what appears to be a cannabis growing operation. Yes, in his warehouse. So he is a drug dealer and a landlord, who's to say. Um, but he like uproots it and then puts it in a safe. <laughs> With no light and no water. It's magic. I know, I know. But again, like you're asking me to suspend so much of my disbelief. And I'm like, at a certain point, the bucket is full. I'm already believing in werewolves. Please just give the plant a sun lamp. (laughs) (laughs) Or like destroy it. What's the point of like keep, I don't know. I think they use it for something. I think he plans on killing Kate with it. Hmm. I think. I guess there has to. I don't know. Well, tell us, tell us, and tell us in the comments, everybody. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody who like recently watched season four who was like, "God, they're just so wrong about everything." And and maybe I'll be more right next episode. <laughs> Who's to say? Unlikely, but possible. True. Um, do you want to give us some pack stats? Yeah, my pack stats. We had two eyes. We had um, Brett's and Scott's. Cool. Probably multiple times, but I like wasn't counting. Um, 
one clause, we didn't get like a little shing, but Scott's moment of his claws hovering in the air, very dramatic. No one got naked. Good. Wasn't a naked episode. Um, we did get a little LG AT&T ad because cool. they were FaceTiming, I guess. I don't know what you call it when it's not an iPhone. Um, video chatting with Lydia at the lake house where she was like, maybe the wine isn't the wine and a key isn't a key. And a <laughs> The record player isn't a record player. I'm going to put that box in another box. <laughs> I'm going to mail it to myself. And when it arrives, I'll smash it with a hammer. That was the vibe. Yeah. That was the vibe. That was the vibe. God. Um, was that it? Yeah. Okay. Do you have an elf of the week? Like, no, right? Lydia? No, I guess. Um, Satomi. Satomi. Yeah, let's get this Satomi. I like her. No one did anything particularly admirable except not killing each other in this yeah, episode. Yeah, which so. is like bare men. So. Satomi, we love you, babe. I just, I mean, I think when I think about Satomi, I'm like, wow. Like, perseverance. She did that. She did that. She's like so, she's so old. She's you know? so old. And, and she, all she wants to do is protect her pack and like teach them like the ways to live harmoniously amongst the universe. I genuinely feel it's super rare to meet an old werewolf. So like thumbs up. Yeah. Love her. Congrats. Congratulations. Um, (laughs) I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, if you liked this podcast and we hope you did, you can follow us on teen wolf at underscore rewolf. No, at teen wolf underscore rewolf Christian. (laughs) That is both our Twitter (laughs) handle and our Instagram handle. You can find us on Facebook, teen wolf rewolf and our Tumblr teen wolf rewolf podcast. Um, if you really liked this episode and want to make us as happy as we were at the beginning of this episode, you can leave us a review on iTunes and give us five stars. If you really, really liked it, you can buy us a coffee. Our coffee is just coffee, like ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. Massively appreciate it. We are not asking, but if you feel like donating, that's crazy. Why would you do that? We're just a Teen Wolf <laughs> podcast. Um, finally, to wrap this up, just because we were talking about ACAB and have been very vocal about this, um, previous, uh, given that there has been a lot of mass protesting in our country, specifically regarding Black Lives Matter lately, uh, if you guys have um, the means to donate, we would way rather you guys donate to Black Lives Matter causes, to community justice funds, um, to you know the the people who are currently protesting in Minnesota. Keep an eye on the news to as much like to as much of a degree as you can do that, like healthy and you know safely. If you're out protesting, please take care of yourself. And just to remind you guys, we are fierce advocates of Black Lives Matter. And um, just, I know that's a kind of a bummer way to end this episode, but it would feel really ingenuine if we didn't comment on it as we have so often before. Yes. And also, um, if you're very involved in that, or even just with all of the COVID stuff that's happening right now, it kind of feels really overwhelming. Please take care of yourselves. We want that for you. Yep. We love you guys. Very much. And we really hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Ow. Woo.